If you guys have some uh, testimonies that you would like to share, please come uh, see me, talk to Bill, you know, because we really want to get multiple people to be able to have the opportunity to do what Bill is doing. We heard from uh, Joy last week. And so that's something that you guys can really step into if, uh, if the Lord has placed a uh, testimony in your heart or something going on during the week. It'd be great, right, to get as many people involved as possible in the church, all right? So uh, today, let's, uh, let's open up to John chapter 7. <clears throat> John chapter 7. And, um, Lord, we just, we just invite you, we thank you, and, but we invite you into this place and into this time of, of getting to your word. Let this also be an act of worship as we draw upon your heart and your word and your instruction. I pray for focus, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in me, but also in all of us, Lord, to receive from you. Ah, yes, Lord. Amen. All right, so John chapter 7, verse 37, says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, well, will the Messiah come from out, out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. So right here in this scripture verse, we have a couple of things that are going on. One, it was the last day of a feast, a biblical feast. Jesus gets up, he cries out, and says that he is the fountain of life. Anyone that drinks of him, that from his heart will flow living water. Uh, then also from there, what we have here is a conversation amongst the people that heard him. Um, well, what, what is this guy? Who is this guy? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Oh no, Messiah has to come from Bethlehem. This guy's from the Galilee. I guess they didn't know he was born in Bethlehem. That's all what, what's going on. And so... What we have here is um, the, the beginning of this story and of understanding is going to be contextual, and that is the last day of the feast. What is this feast that's going on? This is really where we get the times in the life of Jesus. Well, I like to call this feast uh, Camping with Jesus. But really, the, uh, the biblical feast is the Festival of Tabernacles, which is happening right now. Um, it is known as Sukkot or the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Tents or Booths. It was something that was commanded in uh, Leviticus, also in Zechariah, there's mention of it. But what's great here is it's actually happening right now. Today is the last day of that biblical feast, the seventh day. Um, and this is the day which Jose, Dana, and them are, are flying out. But yet it's also the same day that this scripture verse came out 2,000 years ago. It was the last day of that feast. 
And Jesus stood up and cries out in the temple and says, I am the living water. Okay? That's what's going on here. So um, I like uh, calling it camping with Jesus just kind of to get you thinking about dwelling. Right? Dwelling with the Lord. So before we get into the feast and how it relates, just, let's just talk about camping a little bit. Who here enjoys camping? Anyone? There's a minority of people out there that enjoy it. Yeah, so not, not everyone likes camping. I, I, I get it. I love it. And the reason why I love it is probably the reasons why many of you love it. Um, it slows everything down, doesn't it? You get to just slow down. You get to just be in the quiet. You get to be in nature. You, get to, you just get to step away from it all. I have a dream uh, to, to one day, I guess in retirement, uh, to hike the Appalachian Trail. I've made mention of this before, I think from the pulpit. But uh, 2,180 miles, Maine to Georgia. It takes about four months to do. I've done sections of it, quite a few sections of it, for some kind of extended period of time. I was, that was when I was single. I was without kids, right? You get to go like on a week, just roam in the, in the wilderness. And I, I, I absolutely uh, cherished that time. Why? Because uh, day one when camping, and like, like hiking, there's a difference between camping, like you get a little tent, and then hiking. When I mean hiking, like you put everything in a backpack, it's on your back, and you just walk all day, then you stop, and you, you take your tent out, and you set up, and then you do the same thing the next day. You just keep going, keep going, keep going for four months. It's better than 40 years, right? Or in any case, I've done this for like a week at a time. And uh, what I love about it is this. On day one, day one of this, what, what happens here is you have all these thoughts. You have all this busyness. You're thinking about what you have to do when you get back from your trip. You think about all the things that you should probably be doing back in your regular life. It takes about 24 hours to just get out of that zone when you're just like walking in the woods. And you have like a day of just, all right, let's forget about your civilization a little bit all my responsibilities. Uh, and what happens here is day two, it's just, you start to step into this place of peace, this place of clarity. Things that concerned you before no longer concern you. You know, your, your retirement plan is not really like, not really in your head. You know, paying your mortgage isn't really in your head. You're like, oh, where can I get some more water? Everything just gets simplified. It's very nice. It's great. I mean, it's just you, the trail, God. There's no distractions. You really get to step into this rest and simplicity that Josh was talking about um, last week. In a sense, what I love about it is it's, it's, it's really a reminder of what we were called to do. I think we, we sometimes forget what God's original plan was. You know, God's original plan was literally to hang out with two naked vegetarians in nature. We forget that. That is, that is paradise according to God. His original plan is to hang out in a perfect, beautiful garden with two naked people that only ate, you know, plant matter. That's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That's the original plan of God. I'm not advocating for people to walk around naked, but, you know, obviously the purity of heart that was there. I'm not even necessarily advocating vegetarianism. Or I would if I could do it, but I lasted about two months and I felt horrible. So I stopped. So I can't get on that soapbox, but a couple of you can, I know. Uh, 
what I'm just trying to get at here is, 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 is this ability to just step into God's wonderful plan. So we have here this festival known as the Festival of Sukkot. And it's the last day of this festival. Sukkot is Hebrew for booths or tents. Jesus stands up and he says all this. So what is this festival anyway? What we have here is it was commanded in scriptures that for seven days you are to camp with the Lord. Literally camp. You are to live outside in a booth or a tent that you make. Okay? Uh, in Israel right now, it's, it, they're all over the place. It's crazy. You'll see that they kind of have like these reed uh, tents literally out on their patios, out on the porches. Like all of Israel, all of Jerusalem, you're driving around, everyone has like this kind of like shed type of tent in the back of their house. It's really wild actually. Uh, for seven days you are to do this. Um, you are to lift up praises and worship the Lord. You are to give an offering uh, unto the Lord. It's this kind of interesting um, grain and fruit offering right there. The, the one is called, is, it looks like a lemon. The other is more or less like some wheat and barley. It's known as the citrog and lulav. But that's kind of getting pretty deep into things. Uh, really, what is the festival about? One, it's a festival of giving thanks for the harvest. Actually, you guys know Thanksgiving? That's coming up. The Puritans were really radical for the scriptures. They were really radical for the teachings of Jesus. They were really radicals for the Old Testament. It's actually been said by scholars that the festival of Thanksgiving, which we all celebrate, is patented off of this biblical feast. Because the Puritans were like pure. They want it all. Jesus on the last day of the festival is celebrating Sukkot. Oh man, we have to do something like that too. That's what the Puritans were thinking. So the festival of Thanksgiving is actually coming uh, from this uh, most likely, okay? It comes at this harvest time, right? Right now, I mean, even in America, right? Where people are harvesting the last of the, of the ingathering. They're doing the same thing in Israel. So it's, a, it's largely a, a Thanksgiving harvest or holiday. Uh, what we have here is um, on the last day, which is today, and it's the last day where Jesus comes up and speaks forth, is a special holiday known as Hazana Rabbah. Or Hosanna Rabbah, which essentially means the day of great rejoicing. And on that day, um, you are to take these very large pitchers and pour out a drink offering of water. So, seven days of worship, seven days of camping outside, seven days of exalting the Lord, seven days of giving Him thanksgiving, and on the last day, you take these very large pitchers of water and you pour them out as a drink offering unto the Lord. That's the biblical context for it. But why on earth would God call the nation of Israel to do this? Why on earth would Jesus do this in the scriptures right now? And why or what can we learn from this experience in the context of Jesus' announcement in chapter 7? He says you are to do this in Leviticus chapter 23 for the following reasons. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelter when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Why do this holiday? Why does Jesus do it? 
It is so that you remember and your kids remember and your children's 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 remember that I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. Because when you're living in the tents for seven days, the ceiling of the tent is supposed to be open. So when you look up, you can see the stars. And you could be reminded of what it must have been like for 40 years living in the wilderness. But the powerful thing is, why were you living in the wilderness? Because the Lord brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the land of sin, out of the land of Egypt. So now wherever you live, where it's you know, nice and cushy skyscrapers in New York City, or living in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, or living in the desert of Israel, you are to look at the stars and be reminded that I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of the place of bondage. There's also a prophetic act that is put into this holiday. That, and even the rabbis teach us, and it's found in the Old Testament, that the drink offering is a symbol that one day, one day, the Holy Spirit will be poured out over all of the nations on planet Earth. Um, Judaism, or the Bible pre-New Testament, teaches that. That one day, the Holy Spirit is going to govern the whole earth and be unto the Israel, but also be unto the Gentiles. I mean, just read the book of Joel to get a little hint of that. And so they believe that this holiday is a prophetic act of, of remembrance and hope that that's going to come one day. God's presence is going to cover all over the place. Okay? So that's another reason, which is very, quite beautiful. And you're like, Dave, why, why, you know, why do we spend this time you know, looking at this contextual stuff? And why are we spending this time doing all this kind of stuff? Well, because we have to read the whole Bible. <laughs> and it, things get kind of crazy if you don't. Here's uh, Zechariah chapter 14. I know it's a little long, but let's see if we can get it. It's very important. Zechariah 14. Then the survivor, survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. What we have here is after the great tribulation. Okay? This is, this is after, right, after, after Jesus returns. It says that those people that survived the great tribulation. Whoa, Jesus comes back. We now, those that are left, they have to come up to Jerusalem and worship the king of kings and lord of lords. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem. Remember, they're attacking Israel. Those that actually survive, they must come up to Jerusalem year after year to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. So you have something pretty interesting. God commands it in the Old Testament to do it. God says that in the future, in the millennial reign of Jesus, that we will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you don't, your country is not going to have any water. He's going to give plague and have a drought upon your nation. What I'm trying to signify to you is that in the past, it was really significant and very important. And in the future, in the millennial reign, it's extremely important. Wouldn't you think that maybe now it's also a little bit important? Like if the past is important, and in the future it's important, maybe it's also important now. And it is. It's totally important. It's so important that Jesus declares that he is the fountain of life. 
at that time. Amen? So let's, uh, let's get into it a little bit. Importance for us right now. We know there's importance in the past. We know that there's importance in the millennial reign in the future. Let's talk about the importance now. Let's read again. John chapter 7, 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The last day of the feast, as I was saying, uh, is known as the day of Hosanna Rabbah. Rabbah means great. Hosanna is what you say at right Easter, right? Hosanna in the highest. Right? The incoming of, of right? save us, save us, save us, right? Um, Hosanna is the Hebrew word, um, save us, Lord. It's the same thing, or, or you know, you know what I'm talking about? Palm Sunday, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, on Palm Sunday, like people's like, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we're like, oh, what does that mean? You know, it actually means something in Hebrew. It means, save us, oh God. That's what it means. And so, what happens here is right at the feast that is called the day of the great shouting, save us, oh Lord, Jesus at the temple stands up and says, I am the fountain of life. He is saying prophetically that he is the answer to God save us. That's, that's like crazy. At the same time that the priests are in the temple pouring out that drink offering, Jesus is on the southern steps pronouncing what? <laughs> I am the drink offering. I am the fountain of life. Because of me, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on Israel and the nations. In fact, he's saying, I am the king that is to be worshipped in Zechariah 14. Whew. This is the contextual part, and you're like, all right, well, you know, it's, it's not 2,000 years ago, you know, what's going on for me today? I know there's all of that, but you, you, before we get into that, there needs to be a picture of understanding of what is going on in the scene. It's amazing that while all of these rites and laws were being done in the temple, it's at that point that Jesus is standing and saying, look, uh, 200 yards behind me, all this is going on. Do you understand that I am the one who saves? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So, I'm trying to see here. The practical part of all this is that it's a festival of camping. It's a festival of understanding to slow things down, to stop, to rest, and to dwell with the Most High God. And it's a festival whereby, as it says in Leviticus, that you are to remember that you were brought out of slavery and bondage. This is the context to remember. That to receive from the fountain of life, Jesus, we need to remember He is the one who gave us life, who gave us that water. And there's some interesting things that I think that we have kind of forgotten. The Ten Commandments. On the left is the Ten Commandments through the eyes of Judaism, which will be the Ten Commandments that Jesus was aware of. On the right are the Ten Commandments that Christians decided to create. 
They are both from the Bible. They're both from the same section of the Bible, but they're slightly, slightly different. It's tough, but we need to know context. I'm not making this up. This is just Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And God spoke all these words. Verse 1. Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. What we have here is on the right, Protestant Christianity and Catholic Christianity will pick up the Ten Commandments at verse 3. Jews will pick up the Ten Commandments at verse 2. And it completely changes things in many regards. In verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Look at the Protestant one. Commandment 2, you shall not make unto you any graven images. In Judaism, what do they do? And this, this is what Jesus would have done, right? I'm not like, this, this is Jesus now, okay? Number one is different. In the biblical outlining of Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who is taking you out of the land of Egypt. Then commandment two is, you shall have no other gods before me and make no engraven images. So, so we're all on the same page here. In Jewish thinking... They simply take the Christian commandment one and two and they combine them together and make it commandment two. So this is pretty complicated. The same command, they, they have one extra commandment in the Ten Commandments than we do. This is what I'm trying to say. And so to still be ten, what they do is they take our commandment one and two. You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make unto make any engraven images, they make that as, as one singular commandment, which is commandment two. Okay? So what's their added commandment? They actually have, in, I guess in our thinking, 11 commandments in their 10 commandments, while we have 10. Does that make sense? I'm getting a lot of strange looks. <laughs> All right. 10 commandments. What they do is they take our commandment one and two. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall have, commandment two is you are not to have any engraven images. They take both of that and they make it together. That's one. So that leaves for them an extra spot for their ten. And what is the first commandment according to Exodus chapter 20, that Jesus would have been aware of. It's weird, because like we, we're, it, I'm doing this on purpose. It's so weird that our minds can't think about it, because we, we have such a, an expression of Western Christianity. There, just read it. I am the Lord your God who has taken you out of the land of Egypt. That's a commandment. Good point. Now in Hebrew it says, and God spoke all the devarim. It says all these words. It does not say, and the Lord spoke these mitzvot, these commandments. We call them commands, commandments, but the scriptures themselves call them the ten words. 
So we look at them as commandments, but commandment, the word mitzvot, is not even there in Hebrew. It's not there. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's the Esso Devarim. It is the Ten Words, the Ten Sayings of God. So yeah, let me clarify it a little bit. But there's power here. Yes, there are commandments of God. But what is God saying in Exodus 20? And what is Jesus acknowledging here? Is that there is a command of Scripture that you are to recall and remember as one of the Ten Commandments and also during the Festival of Tabernacles that what? That above all else, before anything else that you ever do and ever contemplate in doing, commandment one is to recognize that God has done what? He has brought you out of bondage, out of sin, out of slavery, out of the place of Egypt. We need to get that deep inside of us. That's what this whole context is. When people all in Israel 2,000 years ago are celebrating the fact that we get to look up in the stars and say we are living in a nation of freedom and we're no longer in Egypt, Jesus presents himself and says, I am the one who has brought you out of Egypt spiritually. It's an entire holiday that is about it. Not only is it an entire holiday, what I'm trying to do here is correct a little bit and say that it's actually in the original version of the Ten Commandments. Before you talk about like what you do, what you can't do, think, think about how beautiful this is. Before we start talking about what you can't do, let me first tell you what I've done for you so that you can respond by not doing this. Right? So you can't live a life of the Lord and what He's called you to be and do unless you first stop and understand what He has done for you. It's all in response. Oh, I can't do this. It's not that I can't do this. It's like, I'm not going to do this because you brought me into freedom. It's a different way of looking at things. So the entire holiday is do this, all these weird rituals and stuff. Okay, okay, okay. But you're doing all this because remember? Remember I brought you out of slavery? And so it's for us in a New Testament context that before we do anything, what we really can learn from the Festival of Tabernacles, yes, worship the Lord, yes, you know, thank you for the harvest and the beauty things that are out there, but I really think that this year, one of the things that we really need to grab a hold of is that before you do anything, we need to recognize that He has brought us out of Egypt. And what I mean by Egypt, He has brought you out of your sin, out of your separation from Him. That you are no longer in bondage, you are no longer a slave to sin. That he has delivered you and you are free. We need to camp with Jesus. We need to dwell with him and be reminded. You need to be reminded every day that you are no longer that person that was living in submission to sin. And you don't have to anymore. We need to look up the stars again and say, you know what? I'm no longer living in Egypt. The problem here is we have the worship team come on up. The problem here, I, I think, is that my experience as a believer has been this. Many people are free. Many people are saved, um, but they still think they're living in Egypt. Like there are people that are saved, but they still have an attitude that they're living in bondage. You're like, dude, you're free. You're free. Get happy. 
Get some life. Get some water. Get some living water and fountain inside of you. Well, I'm free, but you're still living in Egypt. It's like, you can't be free and still live in Egypt. If you're not in Egypt, you're free. So, you know, get free. Well, I know I'm saved, but I'm really not good enough to really be free. Come on, man. Commandment one is not necessarily having the other gods before me. The commandment one is remember I purchased you and I brought you out of slavery. We need a, 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 a what should we call it? We, we need a bride. We need a fellowship of saints who have living water inside of them. And it says that the living water in verse 39, that this was spoke according to the Holy Spirit. We need people to not just catch on fire from the Lord, but to be drenched in His water of life. And we get drenched in the water of life while either looking at the stars or looking at our Bible, whatever it may be, that you recognize and understand every single day that you do not live in Egypt anymore. So do not put your tent of thinking there. Get on out. You're free. You're in a place of water. You're in the promised land. You have a God who poured out his life for you to give you living water in the spirit of God. So be reminded that you're not there anymore. What's so beautiful in the context and the understanding of the Lord is that all of these little holidays in the Bible, you know, holidays from the Bible, are known as Moadim. That's what they're called, Moadim. And Moadim essentially means three things. An appointed time, an appointed place, and an appointed meaning. It's that the Lord has set things in his calendar and in his days of appointment. Just like we were learning last week about the Sabbath. It's an appointment. Stop. Slow down. Be with the Lord. And I believe the Lord is, is just saying that with this festival right now of booths and this festival of, of remembrance of that you are no longer a slave is that we need in this place to have an appointed time, an appointed place, and an appointed meeting with Him. It's not enough to have an appointed place. Appointed place could be in this context, hey, come to church. It's not even that we can say, all right, we have an appointed place, and we have an appointed time. The, the appointed time is 10.05. It's not enough for you to have a connection with God based upon just a time and place. You need to have a meeting with Him. You need to have a meeting with Him. For He is the fountain of life. And we need to have that meeting. And you need to have that meeting every day. A meeting of remembrance. Lord, You brought me out of sin. You brought me out of sin. You brought me out of sin, Lord, so allow the living waters just to flow in me as I recognize that you have delivered me. In preparation of this, um, what the Lord is really showing me at our prayer night on Wednesday was 1 John 5, 7, 8. It says this, For there are three that bear witness in heaven. 
The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Get a load of this. This is amazing. Right now in heaven, there are three things that bear witness, testimony. The Father, the Word who is the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And how does it work? The Father is there looking down at his creation, saying, these are my children. It's a testimony, a witness that he's bearing. What is the Son doing? Yeah, they're your children. They've been, they've been forgiven. They are sinless. They are pure in your eyes, Father. And he's like, wow. See how they're coming in agreement? And the other piece of the agreement is the Holy Spirit that's, that's there that is acting together. So the Father is saying, oh, those are my children. Jesus is saying, yeah, they're sinless and pure before you. And they're bound together in testament. And the Holy Spirit is there. And I've sealed them to the day of deliverance. I've sealed them. I'll put a seal upon them until the day of deliverance when they're raptured up into the, into the throne room. And day in and day and night, day in and day out, night and day, day and night, all of that, right? This repetition of testimony goes on and on and on for all of eternity. In heaven, there are three that bear testimony. Now, at the same time that that is happening, there are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, the water, the blood. And they all come together and they bear witness and they testify of what God has done. And I believe that in this place, we all do a very good job of bearing the testimony of the blood. I am saved. Salvation. Born again. And I think that many of us in this place bear the witness of the Holy Spirit. Being baptized in fire. Being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Having boldness and, and using spiritual giftings. Wisdom, discernment, prophecy, healing, tongues, you name it. But I feel that there's another piece, right, that needs to bear testimony, and that is the water. Life. Life. Those who come to me will have eternal, everlasting waters, and they'll never be thirsty again. Out of them will flow water. I want to make sure that we are a people that don't just bear witness of the blood. I'm saved. And don't even bear witness of fire power of the Holy Ghost. But that you have life inside of you. There's a lot of believers, man, who are Holy Ghost fireballs and born again and spirit-filled, but they have no life. They're angry. They're bitter. They're judgmental. But that's not the witness of Jesus. The witness of Jesus are these three things bear witness on earth of me. Blood, spirit, and water. And how can you always make sure that the water is there, that it's cleansing you, that is refreshing you, that's making you poor, that's making you light, that keeps your yoke easy? How do you keep that in front of you? It's very simple. You look up at the stars. You camp with Jesus and you remember day in and day out that he brought me from that place of bondage. 
And if you remember that and you focus on that day in, day out, how can you be bitter? How can you be judgmental? Brother, I was there too, but I'm telling you, I'm no longer living there. I got life now. I got living water now. It'll keep you pure. It'll keep you soft. It'll keep you tender. When you remember, He brought you out of Egypt. Amen? Come on, let us stand. Let's come before the Lord. Father, I pray that we can be a humble people. Lord, I pray that we can be a humble people, that we can say, you know what, Lord? I've borne witness of you by the blood. I've borne witness of you by the Holy Spirit. But you know what? My plant, my plant who is I, has become a little brittle. It's become a little dry. I need a little taste of your water again. I need a tender heart. One of the most powerful things I learned being a public school teacher and also being a pastor is this. And I would say it's the same thing for being a believer. We need to have thick skin, but soft hearts. And that's really hard to do. Because usually what happens here is you have a soft heart, so you have soft skin. And when someone offends you, your heart becomes corrupted. So then you respond with a hard heart, and a hard heart will produce a hard skin. Then you become bitter, you become unapproachable, and you become nasty. We need to develop souls that say, I can have a thick skin because my identity is in Him, but my heart is soft because I've received the living water of Him. So Lord, we just pray right now for tender hearts, but maybe some thicker skin. We pray for living waters of life to flow freely from us. We pray for the Mayim or the Mayan Yeshua, the springs of salvation. The springs of salvation released in this place. Lord, we pray right now for ancient wells, ancient wells that were there when we first got saved, ancient wells of softness and tenderness and beauty and lightness of heart and lightness of attitude right now would flow. Would flow. Would flow. Those old hearts, those bitter hearts, just needs, those dry hearts need some water again. Water come and soothe the soil. Let it come when we just come with the simplicity of, oh boy, King Jesus has brought me out of the land of Egypt. He's brought me out of the land of slavery. I'm no longer beholden to that chain. I'm no longer beholden to that emotion. I am now free. I am free. I am free. Let that be the meditation of our hearts in Jesus' name. I invite you to stay in worship. I invite you. I invite you. I know. I know. Because I know, I know. As a pastor, the Lord has allowed me to see that some of you, I'm not calling any names, but as a pastor, it's my duty. Some of you have the blood and some of you have the spirit. But the water has gotten a little dry. And you need a fresh touch. I'm not going to call any names out. I'm not going to play a head game. But I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you right now that you need some fresh water, you got to come up. You just got to come up. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for tender hearts. We're going to pray for fertile soil. We're going to pray for lightness of step and ease of yoke in Jesus' name. 
Because you could be a fireball Pentecostal preacher, all on fire with the Lord, but still, still, not bear the testimony of water. And we need that in this dry and weary land. Amen? So come on now. We'll pray for you as the worship team gets going. Have a wonderful week. There are some refreshments downstairs, and we can have some wonderful fellowship as well. Amen.